Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. Unchained is hiring. I'm looking for a remote editorial assistant to start working later this summer. This role handles numerous editorial tasks from booking guests to proofreading to social media. If you love crypto and have journalism experience, get in touch. I have a link to the job posting in the show notes and the listing is also available on my website. And there it explains what you should send in and how. Need cash but don't want to sell your crypto? Use Nexo's instant crypto credit lines and withdraw funds today. Starting from only 5.9% APR, create an account at nexo.io. Diversify is the first self-custodial exchange that can match the leading centralized cryptocurrency platforms. No more sacrifices. You can enjoy high speeds, deep liquidity, privacy by default, and low fees directly from your private wallet. In response to the challenging times, Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest is Tony Shang, angel investor and writer. Welcome, Tony. Thanks for having me. This is the second week in a row I'm doing a show about yield farming here on Unconfirmed because people are continuing to talk about it like crazy. So let's just start with the basics. What is yield farming? Yield farming is, well, we'll start from the basics. So there are ways to borrow and lend money on Ethereum. And normally when you lend money, you can earn an interest rate um, because the borrowers are paying for the opportunity to borrow the money from you. Recently, some of the platforms that have that facilitate this transaction between the borrowers and lenders have been giving people a sort of subsidy, like a cashback for both borrowing and lending. So this cashback has been so lucrative that people have been creating and changing up their strategies across multiple platforms to maximize the amount of cashback they can get. Um, at times, this has been as lucrative as uh, 100%, 200% annualized returns on just simply lending and borrowing money. Um, and it's been fluctuating wildly over the last couple of weeks. And with a couple of new tokens that are being introduced to the markets, that's been adding even more opportunity for new strategies, as well as more volatility in, in, in the overall space. And so just walk us through an example. Kane Warwick of Synthetics was on the show last week and talked about how people were doing this on comp, maybe, but he kind of glossed over it quickly. So you can use that as an example, or, you know, any of these other tokens. Sure. So Compound is really where it's gotten started. On Compound, you can borrow and lend uh, a handful of cryptocurrencies, um, notably uh, U.S. dollar variants like USDT, USDC, and DAI, um, as well as wrapped Bitcoin, which is a Bitcoin on Ethereum, Ethereum itself, and uh, like 
two or three uh, altcoins, just other coins that are on Ethereum. Each of these coins have their own markets. So uh, the rate to borrow um, USDT is different from the rate to borrow Ethereum, and that's all just based on supply and demand and the degree to which the team, the compound, uh, thinks those are risky assets to borrow and lend. So the curve that determines the rates very slightly. In normal times, people are mostly borrowing this money to to get more leverage in the market. So a really popular way to use the platform before was to deposit Ethereum, lend that out to get a stable coin like DAI, and then use that DAI to buy more Ethereum so they have more Ethereum exposure overall. Um, that costs something for the borrower usually, and that rate has been somewhere between you know 1% and 10%, um, depending on, on the times. What happened when, what's new is that comp, Compound announced their governance token, and this token is going to be used is actually already being used today for the community to vote on changes to the parameters of the system. Things like adding new tokens, uh, changing the curve that determines the, the rates, uh, even the decision to add, like distribute the compound token to the community itself, that was something that was done through this governance process. The way they're distributing it is splitting every day they have a block of uh, just like a chunk of compound that they're distributing to all of their users. And the way they calculate that is 50% goes to the the lenders in the market and 50% goes to the borrowers. And the way they decide how much each person gets is based on how much interest they're either earning or they're receiving. So if you want to maximize the amount of this token that you get, you want to have the highest share of that interest on either side that you possibly can. So that's led to all sorts of crazy things because the compound token itself was priced by the market at a pretty high price. I think it listed, the, the team put it on Uniswap so that there was a market for it at around, I want to say like around $20. I don't know exactly what it is, but like directionally there. And then at its peak, it went up to almost $400. And for the most of that first week, it was hovering around 200 That was a lot higher than anybody expected. And so the result of that was you could borrow at really high rates, like 30% plus APY, like you're paying out that much to borrow things, but you're still positive because the value of the compound that you're earning from borrowing was so much higher than the fees that you were paying to borrow. And this this is basically where the, the term yield farming came to be because it's not simply just borrowing and lending for a, a use case anymore. It's really gaming the system and ro- like rotating your crops, so to speak, between uh, to the most popular markets so that you could maximize your overall profits. Yeah, I find it pretty nutty that people can earn money from borrowing. That doesn't sound like something that happens normally in real life. And some of the yeah interest rates that you're talking about, I mean, it's pretty eye opening. But I just wondered, so is this sustainable? Because in a way, it's just like Compound is incentivizing people to um, go on there and either borrow or lend, but only to get more comp, not for the actual activity, right? So I, I'm not sure where this is going to go. Yeah, so it, it's definitely not sustainable forever. Um, the rates have to end up uh, converging on the organic market for the borrowing and lending. So the a few ways this would compress is on the supply side, you just see way more capital coming in competing for the same fixed rate of those rewards. Um, that just means like every person, every dollar in the system gets less and less of that share, which makes it less profitable for everybody overall. We already saw that, like massive, massive inflows onto Compound to compete for these rewards. The other way it could compress is the price of Compound itself goes down. And as a result, the rewards in dollar terms goes down for everybody that's competing for them as well. And both of these things have, have been happening. And just over the long term, it doesn't really make sense for it to be 
a net positive to borrow. The, the real question is, like, A, what is the long-term value of doing these things? Because if it's just kind of shuffling chairs around on, on a deck, it, it really doesn't matter. It's just like a short-term arbitrage thing. And, and I think a lot of people feel that that may be the case. Um, that's one. And the second thing is, what is like the actual value of doing this? Like, is there any point to this other than juicing up engagement for individual platforms? And, and I think both of those are pretty interesting conversations. The On the first one, like, which I've already forgotten, what was it? <laughs> okay, it, it was like, how sustain, How is this just like a quick fad that goes away? Or are yeah. we going to have to keep thinking about yield farming? Um, I think this degree of rewards is not going to last forever. Because it's a bad deal for Compound to be paying out this much money to for like the return on the engagement, right? They don't. They actually don't have a high incentive to just give away free money, so to speak, to the people that are most sophisticated at gaming the system. But what they actually end up want to do is they want to get a fair distribution of their coins to as many people that are most likely to be users of their platform and stewards of the direction of the platform for, for the long term. That's the end goal. The end goal is how do you come up with a good strategy to give control of the platform to the users who care about it most? And this is super early days for figuring this out. It's clearly imperfect, but that's like that's the vision. And this is a way to do it. Whether this is a really short-term fad or whether we're going to have to keep thinking about this for a while, uh, it really depends on how many new projects are going to continue introducing these types of uh, incentivized engagement things and how much the market values these subsidies. Uh, and I think my prediction is that we're going to see a lot more of it before it starts to cool down, just because there are so many projects in DeFi that fit into this whole ecosystem where it makes sense to try to create a governance token and start to give away control to the users. There's a bit of a frenzy here, for sure, but the the, the activities are going to keep going. I, I think we're going to see more of this type of thing directionally. The yields being 100%, 200%, I, probably not. Yeah, I would be curious to know how many different addresses now have comp, like whether it's and and kind of what those addresses look like in terms of the other tokens they own, because I just wonder if it's sort of making the same crypto rich group richer and just sort of distributing amongst the same people. All right. So in a moment, we're going to discuss the potential downsides of yield farming. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Diversify has partnered with Starkware to bring serious traders a speed and security advantage without sacrificing the cornerstones of profitable trading. They enable high-speed UI or API access to deeply liquid order books, instant execution of 9,000-plus trades per second, as well as rapid withdrawal certainty for when you need to move fast. If you're an arbitrage, algorithmic, or day trader, you can capitalize on the best of centralized trading while preserving complete control of your assets 24-7. Want the edge? Head to D-E-V-E-R-S-I-F-I dot com and learn more today. In response to the challenging times, Crypto.com is introducing three measures to help the community. First, the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases will be waived for the next three months. Second, you can now get up to 10% back by using the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. Lastly, you could buy gift cards on the Crypto.com app from merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more, and get 20% back on food and 10% back on groceries. Download the Crypto.com app today. Back to my conversation with Tony Shang. So actually, before we talk about the downsides, I did also just want to ask, I mean, the 
the amount that you can earn for borrowing and lending something like Tether as opposed to like USDC or ETH in particular, or really any of these other coins um, that you can earn money from in comp. Like, why is it that Tether pays so much more, you know, on in compound? It's mostly uh, just a function of how the platform determines the rates. So Tether was the first one that uh, yield farmers figured out they could get the rates up very high. And you can do that by just borrowing a ton of it. If you borrow a ton of it, then that means there's more demand to borrow, and that increases the fee that you have to pay to borrow it. That, in turn, increases the fee that the, the interest rate you can get for lending it. And then that the, the balance of the supply and demand is what uh, determines the rates. And they have a high incentive to keep the rates high because they want the rates high because they're earning more comp, and that's profitable for them. So... What happened is like the rates were pretty stable uh, going into this. Once it happened, they realized Tether was the market that they could uh, move the interest rate up highest most quickly because there's a huge supply of Tether and you can just keep dump borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. But eventually that rotated to BAT and 0x, which are less liquid coins, which they could move the interest rate up even further. So th- these are the type of games people are playing. It's just going to be continuously playing this game um, with all of the like. The, the folks with the most weight behind uh, their activities. And it's just, there's, there's never going to be a stable uh, equilibrium here. They're just going to be constantly shuffling things around and people trying to go move to the more profitable strategy. The more people that move there, the less profitable it gets. So they have to come up with a new one uh, and so on and so forth. And people are also, you know, I mean, maybe you kind of described this slightly, but they're basically borrowing Tether. And then once they borrow it, then they lend it also. And, so they're sort of leveraging. So how much leverage are people using when they yield farm? I don't know on average. I'd actually be really interested to see that. I think it's pretty common to do one loop of depositing something, borrowing something, using that to buy something, depositing it again, borrowing something else. I mean, you can do that until you're out of uh, borrowing power. And I think like it's, I think it's pretty common to do one loop. It's probably pretty common to get up to like three or four X leverage. Uh, I think people are doing crazier things than that as well. But the, I think the key here is that uh, leverage is scary. People should be very careful with leverage. The, the nice thing, though, is in DeFi, it's all transparent. So there's no like scary black box where money disappears and it's way more leverage than you think it is and everything falls apart. There, there could be a daisy chain of liquidations, for sure. Like something wrong goes, something goes wrong somewhere and that just kind of collapses everything. Everybody gets liquidated. But uh, we have more eyes on it and we don't have ways to borrow under collateralized, which means like if I have $1, I can't borrow 10, I need to have $10 to borrow like eight or something. So those are all sort of, um, what would you call them? Just just things that, that put, a, put a ceiling on, on the degree of leverage that can be in the system right now. All right. So let's now talk about the risks. You did a nice little tweet storm on this. And um, there are at least from your tweet storm, kind of three main things people should be worried about or careful about. So why don't you walk us through what those are? Sure. So the, the three ways you can lose your money, yield farming, um, the three main ones, there are other ones too, but the three main ones are, A, you deposit money into an app to try to farm yield, and that money gets robbed somehow. That one's pretty and, easy to understand. And when you say robbed, what do you mean? It just somebody takes it that you don't expect that they shouldn't be able to take it. So the most common way we've seen this happen is a hacker 
finds a vulnerability in the smart contract the where, where you're depositing the money and then they're able to drain the funds run away with them and then sell them another way that's been much less common uh, is especially with more reputable projects is that there is some secret way that the team can actually go and access the smart contract change it, and then take the funds themselves and third like it doesn't even have to be malicious intent. Sometimes there's just a mistake and then the funds get frozen and nobody can get them anymore or something like that. So it's really just like smart contracts are pretty difficult to build. There, there's a long history of vulnerabilities with smart contracts. So it is, it should be one of the first questions you have in your mind. Like what is the risk that the smart contract fails? Heuristics that people can use to uh, sort of gauge that is you know, how long have they been around unchanged? How many security audits have there been? How much capital has it secured over some long period of time? It's It sort of gives you more confidence that there are fewer risks of an unknown vulnerability, but those risks still apply. And and one way they can mitigate that now is to use smart contract insurance. Uh, Nexus Mutual and Open, I think, both offer insurance on Compound. I believe Nexus got tapped out completely. Like, they don't have any more capacity to oh, insure compound just because of how much demand there is to insure it. But over time, like this is going to become a more mature market. You'll be able to get coverage on anything that you want. And there are a couple other ways. One that we sort of hinted at earlier is people can get liquidated. Yes. How? So liquidations have been happening. I, I'm actually curious for more numbers on this. Um, I, would, I would love to see somebody do a report on actually how, how much has been liquidated. From from my conversations with people that run liquidation boss it doesn't seem like it's been super crazy like they haven't been making money hand over fist liquidating people so that says something but yeah you can get liquidated anytime you borrow money like if you borrow money then um, these systems work by maintaining a ratio of collateral to your borrow so like we had talked about before i need to put down ten dollars to borrow eight dollars or something else if my initial deposit falls below what the system uh, requires of me then they'll start doing things to make sure that everybody gets paid back. And usually what that is, is they sell whatever deposit you put down for what you borrowed to pay it off and you get what's left over. That can be really painful because the, the exchange rates aren't always good. You usually get hit with a big penalty. And like if you're chasing, you know, 100%, 50% yield a year and you've only been in the system for two days and you get liquidated and get a 15% like fee on it, you've lost a lot of money. So it's important for people to, to keep the, those risks in mind. But these really aren't unique to yield farming. This is just leverage is scary. People should, should take caution. And is that based on the U.S. dollar value of the collateral? Yes. Oh, okay. And the well, last... It, it's it's actually the... Sorry, it, it's, it is the U.S. dollar, but like more specifically, it's the exchange rate between what you uh, deposit and what you borrow. So if that exchange rate deviates too much oh, then oh. um so if you like you put liquid. in tether and then or, or sorry if you put down eth and then borrow bat or something exactly okay it still kind of reduces to the usd price for both of them but just like you know it's technically it's the exchange rate between the two okay and the last way that people can lose their money is that the value in the asset itself can get robbed which was very interesting can you describe what that one right. means? Yeah, this isn't one that people have to think about too much outside of crypto. In crypto, we have a lot of assets that are either synthetically created or they're they are uh, like fiat coins. Or you know, you take something in the real world, you lock it up, and, and you issue a token and say, hey, like this thing is has claims on this much of this other thing. And so the simplest way to think about this is through USDT or USDC, which are both uh, U.S. dollar fiat coins. Here, people are depositing U.S. dollars into some bank account, and then the system mints. Ethereum version of that dollar, and you can trade that around. That's what USDT and USDC are. 
there's been a ton of controversy over USDT in particular because people are worried that they're under collateralized, that they only have, there have been accusations that they're only like 85 or 87% collateralized. And actually they had admitted that that was the case. And then they took on like to, to fill the gap, they had like promises of future dollars or something like that to make it hundred percent. Anyways, it's not, not something I've really spent a lot of time on, but the, the worry is if it's not 100% backed, then your US dollar Ethereum coin actually isn't worth $1. It's worth whatever ratio it is. And actually, it should be a discount to that because you can't trust them to report the truth anymore. So you could see it go like all the way down to zero because everybody just doesn't want it anymore. Uh, why this matters is like, say you've taken out a loan in USDT, something like this happens. The value of your loan drops sharply, even though you thought that it was dollars borrowing dollars so the risk was low you're liquidated you lose a bunch of money everything sucks and there and and that there there are that's like the really toy example of it there are other ways especially the synthetic ones there are more uh complex ways that you the value of your perceived value of the thing is actually not matched with the the actual value of it like in, in fact smart contract vulnerabilities could could be a reason why something that should be pegged to a dollar ends up falling off uh, that peg. All right. Well, so, I mean, we've been talking about, I guess, both the, I don't, I don't know if I even want to call them benefits because I, I get worried a little bit that people um, will think that this is just easy money. Um, but then obviously there are the risks. And so I just wonder overall, like, what do you think the significance is of yield farming for both DeFi and the crypto space? Like, is this kind of just a flash in the pan and it'll die out because it's unsustainable, sort of like the ICO craze? Or do you think that this will be some kind of fundamental building block of crypto that we're seeing uh, being formed? I think it'll become more subtle. I think it'll stick around, but it won't be as like people won't self-identify as a yield farmer. (laughs) Um, They might for a while. Like ICO era lasted. I mean, people think it was a flash in the pan, but you know, it, it lasted a while. Like, and and even even after the craziness, like people filling a thirty million dollar ICO in one block, like on a on a PowerPoint deck, like that that went away pretty fast. But raising funds to capitalize a project with tokens, like people are still doing it, right? So, but we just don't think of it as the ICO craze. So, I think it may be a similar analogy there. But what is important to, I think the a useful analogy that I haven't heard too much yet is this is a subsidy to the overall market that's just going to get baked into the economics of the market just like vc subsidizing consumer goods startups give you cheaper prices on food delivery like ride sharing like buying mattresses stuff like that eventually the bottom can fall out and like but who loses it's the companies the the investors etc because the unit economics weren't good at the end of the day you still need the organic demand to be high enough to justify the existence of a thing but what's new about this is you're taking that model of subsidizing the marketplace to bootstrap the marketplace period, which is shown is proven to be a winning strategy in a, mar- in a marketplace business, if done correctly and successfully. And then you're adding community ownership to these things. So it'd be like, instead of getting a few percent off of your grocery delivery, it's every time you're delivering goods or you're buying uh, your groceries are getting a little piece of Instacart. You know, a lot of quibbles here on the equivalence of equity versus these tokens and stuff like that. 
I'm not going to get into that, but that's the vision. The vision is as we're bootstrapping these things, as we're in these early phases, you're going to be subsidizing people for taking on early risk, doing things that are kind of new and unproven and maybe they won't work out. Uh, at the end of the day, they're going to be rewarded by being the, like the stewards of these these platforms. So if everything works out, we're going to you know shake off this mania pretty quickly. Then it'll just be like, there's there's some extra incentives in the market to go and use these things that are unproven, don't have as much like real world utility yet, and eventually get to a state where some of these things are super valuable, they're core infrastructure, and along the way we've like given you know the thousands, hopefully millions, tens of millions of people that use it a little piece of it, and uh, that gives the community a way to keep uh, keep developing it and make sure that they're in service of the community and not you know some kind of other interest. Fingers right. crossed. You know, might not work out that way, but that that's that's the that's the goal. That's the I hope. know. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um watching the whole thing is it just feels like it's like watching a bunch of people walk a tightrope. So, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, all right, well this has been super fun. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Don't forget to stay tuned for the weekly news recap. Stick around for this week in crypto after this short break. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexit allows you to achieve both of these goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also allows you to earn up to 8% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, aquaponic yield farming. If you've been watching this yield farming trend, wondering what exactly is going on, check out a recent post by Dan Elitzer of IDEO Colab Ventures called Aquaponic Yield Farming. He says, quote, Lending and exchange protocols, particularly ones that utilize pooled liquidity and automated market makers, are naturally symbiotic. Lending protocols like Compound and Aave want large quantities of assets to be deposited in their liquidity pools to maximize loan availability while minimizing borrowing costs. Exchange protocols like Uniswap and Balancer want large quantities of assets to be deposited in their liquidity pools to maximize the potential size and volume of trades while minimizing slippage. They don't care whether the assets in their pools are receipts for loan collateral so long as there is sufficient unutilized liquidity in the lending pool to enable withdrawals as needed. Then he describes how people are earning from lending, using that money to yield from trading, and then making more money available for lending. Next headline. What effect do Coinbase listings have on listed assets? Coinmetrics did a detailed analysis of how Coinbase listings have impacted the prices of the listed crypto assets. Unsurprisingly, prices tended to immediately rise after the announcement, but the size of the increase does vary based on whether it's a bull or bear market. For instance, before its December 2018 announcement, most assets listed were dropping in price. Afterward, the assets saw price rebounds of, on average, 50% against Bitcoin. In August 2019, Bitcoin had just hit highs that July, but it started to trend down. For assets announced then, there was an immediate bump of 10%, but by 100 days out, many of the prices had dropped. And finally, for new assets announced in June 2020, the listing announcement was made as asset prices were trending upward after the sell-off in March. Afterward, asset prices continued to rise. 
Coinmetrics warns that the 132% pop that Omise Go saw after its listing announcement is an outlier, and the mean and median values for appreciation against USD, Bitcoin, and ETH are usually between negative 1% and 14%. Next headline. Wirecard, issuer of Crypto.com and 10x credit cards, files for bankruptcy. After $2.1 billion could not be accounted for on its books, Wirecard, the issuer of crypto cryptocurrency payment cards for 10x and crypto.com has begun insolvency proceedings. Disclosure, crypto.com is a sponsor of my podcasts. Wirecard CEO Marcus Braun also resigned and was then arrested but released on bail. Both crypto.com and 10x say that their operations are unaffected for now. 10x told Coindesk, quote, we are however monitoring the situation closely and are always evaluating the best options for our customers. And Crypto.com CEO Chris Marzalek tweeted that user funds have not been impacted, saying, quote, Wirecard does not have custody of any crypto held by Crypto.com. Next headline. Founder of anti-money laundering Bitcoin indicted for money laundering. The Department of Justice indicted Roland Marcus Andrade, the founder of AML Bitcoin and the NAC Foundation, on charges of money laundering and wire fraud. He allegedly raised funds by conducting an initial coin offering, trying to raise $100 million for AML Bitcoin. The NEC Foundation claimed in its white paper that AML Bitcoin would, quote, include features that would allow the cryptocurrency to comply with AML and know your customer regulations and laws by using biometric technologies, among other methods to confirm the identities of participants in transactions using AML Bitcoin, the filing said. Also, Andrade, the NAC Foundation, and his associates claimed that they would have had an advertisement air during the Super Bowl if the National Football League had not rejected the ad for being too controversial. The filing alleges, however, quote, In fact, the NAC Foundation did not have the funds to purchase the advertising time, and the advertisement was never reviewed or rejected by the network or the NFL. Next headline. Telegram to pay SEC $18.5 million penalty. After a six-month court battle with the Securities and Exchange Commission, Telegram has agreed to pay an $18.5 million penalty over its initial coin offering. The messaging platform will also notify the agency if it plans to issue a digital currency in the next years. Finally, Telegram is liable for a disgorgement of $1.22 billion, though that amount is credited and offset by $1.19 billion paid as termination amounts, according to the purchase agreement for grams, as well as the amounts that some investors had loaned to Telegram previously. Next headline. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton nominated to federal prosecutor post. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton, who has a reputation for being somewhat unfriendly toward crypto assets, was nominated to be the next federal prosecutor in Manhattan. The result of the nomination process is uncertain, but the possibility of Clayton leaving the SEC has made some people in the crypto community hopeful that his successor could be friendlier to the industry. Time for fun bits! There are two fun bits this week. The first is Square Crypto puts sites on decentralized Bitcoin design. Square Crypto began a search for a unicorn Bitcoin designer, but decided to instead fund a decentralized Bitcoin design community. They've created a Bitcoin design Slack workspace and would like designers to contribute to a Bitcoin design guide and user experience research to Bitcoin Core, BTC Pay Server, and BISC. 
Plus, it's also created a grant program for designers. If you know of any designers who are interested in Bitcoin, spread the word. Second fun bits. Crypto for Black Lives Matter. Crypto for Black Lives launched a $45,000 matching pool for organizations supporting black lives and racial justice. It takes crypto or fiat and can be found at CryptoForBlackLives.com. There's also a $175,000 match of up to 10x on Gitcoin that ends July 3rd. People willing to match can let Crypto for Black Lives know how much you'd like to match and which organizations you'd like to match, while donors just need to upload receipts of donations. Crypto for Black Lives will match them as long as matching funds are available. And also, prior donations count. All right, well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Tony and yield farming, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the podcast on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. One note before we head out. This is the last unconfirmed episode with Chris at Fractal Recording. He's been with me since day one of Unchained, which launched more than four years ago. He's been my rock for these shows, just beyond professional and dependable, and just an all-around pleasure to work with. Plus, he likes fractals, like me, which makes him really cool in my book. Chris, I'm going to miss you so much. Thank you for all you've done for me and my shows. I wish you all the best. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Anthony Yu, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.